Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Diminishing Returns this week. Uh, we did Kez last week, a very highbrow classic, and we're keeping things <laughs> highbrow as we look at our first Werner Herzog film, which wow. I think has been a long time coming <laughs> Yes, <laughs> this week. Yeah, so as always, I'm Sol and joining me is Alan. Hello. And we have very special guests this week, Mr. Dallas Campbell. Hello. I can't believe this is your... F- You've never done a Herzog film. <laughs> no, we've, no. We've, why not? We flirted We talk it. about we've, him often uh, enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hard. How, long, how long have you been doing this? And, oh, God. Five years? Four years, something like that, yeah. <laughs> You've been doing this for four years and you haven't... Been well, no, to be fair, we, we do sort of focus on mainstream Hollywood stuff because... We're trying to kind of grab an audience, you know? Herzog, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Herzog has carved out this character mm. himself, this kind of Bavarian, yeah. his voice, he talks like this, you know, in, in Jack Reacher and all these kind of Hollywood yes. stuff. He, he is in there. He, he, yeah. But, well, this is, the, this is the thing, though. I, I think that I might prefer Werner Herzog as an entity rather than I think as I'm a the filmmaker. Same. Yeah. <laughs> in a way, I am, because I don't think you can separate his films really from him mm. so much of appreciating his films is understanding his brain that's exactly exactly what happened when i watched stroshek last night i um i kind of watched the film once uh not to completely spoil things but i was sort of sat there like i don't really know if i got this or appreciate this fully and then i realized there was an audio commentary with Werner herzog on the disc that i rented out and so i sat down and watched that again straight away afterwards and knowing the production and all the weird little stories and things about it made me find a real appreciation that wasn't there just from watching the film on the first run through. That's really interesting. I actually think that I mean, I actually think the film does work. I think it's probably his most mm. one of the most accessible films. You know, it's a, it's a simple story, which we'll go into in a minute. But actually, underneath that simple story, it is layered with the mythology of Herzog. And, and mm. you know, unless, you, um, unless you've seen things like The Enigma of Caspar Hauser, you know, the main character, Bruno S., was in Herzog's first film, or, you know, did a film called The Enigma of Caspar Hauser. Unless you've seen that film, that you're going to miss lots of kind of references when you, when you yeah. check as well. So, Well, I'm looking forward to this conversation because I didn't get it at all. <laughs> <laughs> really simple. Okay, should we go I just want to quickly touch on our our knowledge of Herzog, I suppose, before this. So I, I think I'm like you, Alan. I kind of, I think I know more about the man, the enigma. We very nearly called this podcast the Insignificant Bullet podcast at one point, which is a quote from the infamous Mark Commode interview that Werner Herzog gave where he got shot in the stomach <laughs> by an air rifle. A good friend of mine directed that sequence. <laughs> I'll tell you again, like that whole sequence, brilliant as it was, it, it shows the mastery of Herzog because it was completely set up, mm. of course. But, you know, Herzog does that in order to create drama because he, he's, mm. you know, he's seeking a deeper truth. So he's like, well, mm. I'm going to do this boring BBC interview. How would it be if someone drove past and shot me? That would be- <laughs> <laughs> That's fine to conceive of such a thing. And he, he does seem very interested in blurring the lines between reality and and fiction i think and obviously he makes a lot of documentaries i know he's he's attracted a bit of controversy as to how he approaches those documentaries from some people like i love grizzly man but i've had conversations with people i think yourself included alan about how arguably they kind of walk a fine line in terms of ethics with setting things up and twisting the truth a bit but the interesting you're absolutely right he does blur them mm. and it is it is a constructed thing like grizzly man 
uh, are also encountered at the end of the world, the, the one in Antarctica, and lots of scientists mm. get really cross about it because it's like, that's not what it is. <laughs> but it's a poem, a, a sort of poetic element to it. Oh, yeah. To dig into a, like a deeper truth, something much more profound. And actually, it's funny, actually, just mentioning his documentaries, encountered at the end of the world, there is a sequence where he, he, he's got the scientists lying down on the ice, listening to the sound of whales through the ice. And it's a really bizarre sequence. And of course, scientists would never do that. <laughs> Please, would you lie down in the ice? Now, why would you do that? It's only when you watch his earlier documentary, The Bells of the Deep, which is about superstition and religious practices in Russia, which had these kind of Russian peasants lying on the ice listening, that you realize you see the echoes and themes mm. and images percolating through into other films as well. So yes, they are constructed, but that's the thing. It's like, well, why? You know, do documentaries don't have to be just reportage. You can mm. further lines. He's an artist. It's a bit like saying all paintings should be realistic looking, and Picasso is a bad artist because his paintings aren't realistic. And I think, you know, that's the same. He does play with the form, and I, I, mm. I love it for that. And, you, and even if you don't know that he's playing with the form, it, it, you know, watching things like Grizzly Man. It, it does. I, it's one of my favorite documentaries of all time, even though I know mm. it's constructed. Some of it is artificial. Some of it is artistic license, et cetera, et cetera. I, 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 you know, that's part of why Herzog, I think, is such a brilliant filmmaker. Yeah, I, I think that's fine. But I think on an ethical level, it works because you know. You know there is mm. artifice there. You know that you are experiencing something that is not truth. Whereas I think a lot of people watching a documentary and it's presented to them as here's a documentary, they expect truth or they expect the filmmakers to be searching for the closest to the truth they can get. Now, they, they're wrong to expect that, but... You know, I, I don't know. If they, if they feel somehow cheated, it's like, that's not what happens. Well, I'm like, well understand art better <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing that he's it's the ethics of grizzly man i mean we know from the beginning mm. timothy treadwell is eaten by a bear it doesn't come as a surprise I, I, do you mean the bit with, with the tape recording without giving too much away that's a bit yeah. that i know is, is, yeah, yeah, has been yeah. controversial and again actually i don't know if you've seen encounters at the end of the world the penguin sequence the famous penguin sequence again yes. That is a constructed thing but again it's designed to make you think deeper about the world and and things in general penguins don't do that but but also i get the humor in it as well there's a great mm. humor in in what he does in his documentaries i i don't feel cheated another but i understand maybe i don't know why people feel cheated I oh, it's that whole thing of are you going to print the truth or print the legend and i think you know if you're a, you're a documentary filmmaker you are a storyteller essentially it's not like you're making a news show exactly um i i certainly enjoy what he does put it that way <laughs> any documentary you make i mean i make documentaries and it's not every time you edit something you are making a choice. You are constructing yeah. a reality. It's just that Herzog does it in a slightly different way, in a way that you know touches themes and ideas and images that that, that are sort of outside of the story. And I, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm like, hmm. and also, he, he, by his own admission, he does it. He's not like sort of doing it in secret. Yeah. I, you know, when he was talking about the Antarctica documentaries, like. I was, you know, they, the, the British Antarctic Survey wanted me to show my documentary to the scientists. And I said, no, it'd be much better in a poetry class. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't how it is. But I think that documentary filmmaking really informs his fictional films on a level that I didn't appreciate until I watched this. You know, just, just to pick an example out, the, the auctioneer who appears uh, towards the end of the film, this huge, incredible vocal performance of this man, you know, kind of, one dollar, one dollar, two dollar, you know, incredibly 
I, I can't even begin to imitate it effectively. All right, the option's on, right there, nine hundred dollars on it. You go right there, nine thousand dollars on it. Well, five, I'm four thousand dollars and five. I'm four thousand dollars here, I'm forty-one over here, I'm two. We're gonna hear it, I'm forty-one over here, I'm two. I'm two, I'm two, I'm two, I'm two, I'm forty-one hundred dollars here, I'm two, 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 i parody this is absolutely insane this must be a real guy that herzog's yeah. plucked out and then i i did a bit of research into it and it turns out uh i didn't realize this but Werner herzog you're probably aware Werner herzog made a documentary a short documentary about the the world auctioneer championships i believe <laughs> and that's a real guy who was in his documentary a few years prior and he just thought i love this guy plucked him out flew him in from wyoming to be in the film and i i wrote down the quote because he on the commentary he was talking about this guy and just just fawning over him and it's it's just he said it's the poetry of capitalism, which I just thought was an incredible turn of phrase. But then hearing Herzog call it the, the poetry of capitalism, that kind of unlocked in my head, oh, that's the tragicomedy aspect of this, that it's just such a ridiculous way to hold these proceedings, and yet it's using this element of reality. And, and he, he, he also said, I just want to, because uh, I wrote this quote down, I'd like to do Shakespeare's Hamlet in that speed, I want to bring Hamlet down to under 14 minutes, which I just think would be, you know, we, we watched Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet in full on this podcast quite recently. And as a counterpoint to that, I think a Herzog 14 minute Hamlet would be remarkable. Funnily enough, I used to, many years ago, I worked with a director called Ken Campbell, a comedian and, and, and actually very similar brain to Herzog. And he Macbeth in Pigeon English, which is a, oh, wow, yeah. Ken was obsessed by cargo cults and, mm. And, and 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 these sort of lang these sort of languages that evolved in that part of the world, and we did a production of Macbeth in in a similar kind of vein to that. He, Ken was, but the comedy. I mean, the, the very opening of the film, we meet this character Bruno. Mm. Clearly, a you know, we're in prison, and he's being released from prison. We don't know what he's done in prison, but he's clearly an odd character. He has an accordion and giving him all his possessions back. And the prison warden says to him, he says, "Whatever you do, Bruno, when you leave this prison, please." All your, you know, your crimes have come from alcohol. Please, whatever you do, don't have a beer. No more beer. And Bruno asks you, you know, he says, yes, I will not have the beer. And he holds his hand up and says, cross my heart, hope to die. Hope to die. Hope to die. He leaves the prison and right around the corner, he walks straight into a bar and orders a beer. Which is funny. It's a funny, you know, it's a funny. But at that point, you kind of know his fate is sealed. You know, and then the it is, do you know what though? That it is funny. But I, as soon as the guard said you you mustn't have a drink again, I thought the next thing this guy is going to do is have a drink. So then <laughs> the the fact that it takes us three and a half minutes of them talking to each other and then him walking down the street is just a sort of slow drag to this punchline. So I I don't need that. And also, 
it, I didn't feel because that obviously got set set up straight away. Yeah. But I didn't feel throughout most of the film until kind of quite near the end that alcohol was a particular big influence on his life. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, every for example, when he's in his caravan in America and, and the guy from the bank comes and you see there's beer cans everywhere. No, it's not. It's not a big thing in, in the in the character's life. Um, but it's just a thing. It's just it's just you know in terms of the tragic comedy of it, like the first time we really are introduced to him. We understand that alcohol has been a problem. Released from prison, the first thing he does is go to a bar, order yeah. the beer. The prostitute and his landlord says, right, we're going to seek, live the American dream. We're going to go off to America and then seek, and everything will be okay. And of course, they go to America and everything's terrible and everything's unraveled. <laughs> Actually, I love that that scene. And it's just, and, and partly, I mean, Stroshek, it, it is a tragic comedy. It's mm. immensely quite funny. There are moments in it which are laugh out funny. And the bit with the, with the auctioneer, you're expecting an auction, and suddenly he goes into this bizarre performance. And Herzog, yeah. because he, he likes the sound. Again, if you watch Bells of the Deep, there's a, there's a sequence with these, what they call Chuvan throat singers, these people who make these extraordinary guttural singing sounds from their throats. And Herzog puts them in the film just because they're so amazing. And again, it's just that there is no reason. There's no, and it is an amazing sequence that that auctioneer. We should point out that all the characters in in in, in Strawcheck, which we're talking about, none of them are, well, a couple of them are actors. Yes, yeah. In this town in the middle of Wisconsin, not even a town, just this place where rusting cars sit, and there's an old gas station and one restaurant, famous because it was it had the most amount of serial killers in this town. <laughs> I, I read online at one point that he was planning to uh, dig up Ed Gein's mother's grave with another documentary filmmaker, and I didn't. I meant to do a bit more reading into that to figure out how true that is. The, the lorry driver's talking about though someone's buried in a lake somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that sort of mythology kind of creeps into the film. It's an interesting film, sort of historically, Strawcheck, because um, Werner Herzog became obsessed by this guy Bruno S, which is. Mm. And he was a Berlin street musician uh, who had a terrible, you know, a terrible childhood. His mother was a prostitute. He was in and out mental institutions all his life. And Herzog had seen him in a documentary and hired him for this film, The Enigma of Caspar Hauser, which is a film very, very much like The Elephant Man. In fact, it was made the same year as The Elephant Man. And in fact, edited in the same I think at the same time David Lynch was doing The Elephant Man about this outsider who was locked away until he was a teenager and, and then released into the world and had to make sense of the world. And Bruno S., this actor, well, not even an actor, the street musician, it's one of the most extraordinary performances ever because it's basically his life. There's something incredibly autobiographical about it. Herzog wanted to hire him for another film after The Enigma of Caspar Hauser, this film Wojciech, but then ended up casting uh, Klaus Kinski and of course Bruno F was devastated he wasn't going to be in his film so Herzog said I will promise you I'll put you in my next film mm. I said well when is your next film he said I will give you a script in four days <laughs> straw check in four days by Friday and then and that's the movie and again so there's lots of similarities to the enigma of Casper Hauser that sense of being an outsider trying to make sense of the world the world just unraveling before your eyes and just not fitting in at all I suppose it's the central theme but even I think with even without that knowledge, without that history, you could make sense of Straw Jack. I don't think it's a difficult film. Alan's looking at me. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I made sense of it on the... Yeah, when I say I, I don't understand it, it's not that I don't sort of understand what it's doing. I just don't understand the appeal of it. Mm. <laughs> I'll tell you what I think it is. I, I'm a big Samuel Beckett fan. And if you've read Waiting for Godot, it's basically the same story as Storjack. Even the point with the auctioneer and his crazy voice. <laughs> There's a speech in Waiting for Godot where he talks gobbledygook. 
like at high speed, blah, blah, quah, 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 you know. And it's the same, it's exactly the same. And and and, and Waiting for Godot is a tragic comedy when nothing happens. Mm. And in a way, Sorocek is as well. It has that, that slightly existential, nothing's really going on. Well, things are going on. It's a bit of a road movie. Something I missed actually, did that first thing, I don't know if you saw it, right at the beginning, there's a lovely scene in the prison where they're making tiny origami origami boats. <laughs> the tiniest boat they could make. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, they take a boat to America. They don't fly to America because he's scared of flying. So they decide to take a boat. And there's some, there's a night, there's lots of foreshadowing I've noticed and little images and ideas. There's such an unlikely trio as well. Bruno S, his prostitute friend, and this bizarre old man who is, <laughs> again, was an extra in lots of other Herzog films. And is a real guy and a real pianist. We see him play the piano, living in this trailer in this terrible part of America, mm. you know, with serial killers and. Not not only was he a real guy, but apparently he actually had some form of mania or dementia and was prone to just talking, you know, about bizarre things. And that sequence in the film where he's going on about animal magnetism uh, to some hunters was, yeah, it was real. That was just something that he would go on about. And Werner Herzog just found these hunters on the road, asked them if they wanted to be in a film, employed the uh, the cinematic concealism or cinema unawareity <laughs> trope to kind of make use of real life people, uh, film them talking to this guy and then they rode off. Doesn't sound like there were any release forms or anything like that. I don't think paperwork's <laughs> a concern when it comes to Herzog. He, Herzog is a filmmaker who thrives on chance. Mm. He is a filmmaker. There's a great line that Herzog always says, the poet must not avert his eyes. He'll be somewhere and chance will happen. Like like the scene where the prostitute, uh, where Eva is working in the little local diner in this place in America. All those people in the diner were real mm. people in the diner. She was just there working and, and that's Herzog's magic. And the fact that he can construct this, that blurring, like we talked about before, that blurring of the reality and real people, you know, the, the, the sort of performances that real people give being so much more, well, not more, but just a, you get a different quality. There's a film he did called Heart of Glass where he sized yes. all his actors. <laughs> Again, you get these bizarre performances. Herzog's always trying to do something just different and and. Not in a not in a pretentious way, not trying to be different, but just he's just interested in the world and yeah. people. It's interesting. I mean, Alan, you know, I, I don't I don't know if you've seen a lot of Herzog films. I mean, watching kind of Stroycek as a kind of first one. <laughs> it's good. I, I can't imagine that that was my first Herzog. I, no, no, I have. I am. I mean, I'm familiar with his work, and, and perhaps certainly. Uh, his earlier stuff I'm less familiar with. But but yeah, I mean, I knew what I was getting myself into. I guess my question is, what is the line? What's the difference between, wow, this is fascinating, bizarre, and it just it doesn't really work, and wow, this is fascinating, bizarre, and it, it's amazing art. Yeah. What's what's the line there? Well, I, I think there's something in any, you know, even to point to, like, Transformers films are particularly bad for this, because Michael Bay has become incredibly self-indulgent as his career has gone on, and he will just think, oh, I like this guy, he's funny, let's just give him 10 minutes in my film to do whatever he wants. And I do think there's a value even in that. It's just about how much you can put a structure around it and some substance and value. And I think I think Werner Herzog's obviously finding a lot more uh, substance in his art than Michael Bay. Well, you know, Herzog's, he's not making art films. You know, Herzog <clears throat> hates art films. He hates pretend, you know, he, that's not what it's about. I think if you go in looking at Herzog or Stroycek and thinking, oh, it's some kind of art film, or I'm missing some kind of deeper meaning, there is no deeper meaning 
in it. It's all, it's a real straightforward road movie. It's like mm. two characters, that, three characters down on the luck. They go on a road trip and stuff. <laughs> it's any road movie. It's odd that there are odd characters in it and odd scenes happen, which are, which should be taken as funny. And I mean, even the scene at the end when, okay, spoiler alert, you know, they're down on their luck. Again, you know what it reminds me of? Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. It's exactly the same film. So there's a scene in Butch Cassidy where Butch and Sundance, they've been chased out of America. They've gone down to Bolivia to try their luck. They're sitting around a campfire with, with the girlfriend. And she says, you know, I'm, 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 you know, I'm going to go back to America and be a teacher. I can't hang around you guys anymore. It's got too dangerous. I'm going to miss that last scene, if you don't mind. And she goes. And you know when she goes, that's the end. It's almost like she... Her leaving means that they're just going to completely unravel. And when Eva at the end of Strojcek leaves with the two truckers to go to Vancouver, and it's just Bruno S. and that old guy, you know they are screwed. You know that they cannot cope. They can't speak English. Living in a world they don't understand. They go to a bank to rob the bank. The bank is closed. They go to the first door next door, which just happens to be a barbershop. They steal $32. They cross the street and pick up a frozen turkey as, as, to survive. Like, why? We, I mean, it's comedy. It's, like, it's classic slapstick comedy. But again, it's the tragic comedy because you know that the game's up. You know they cannot survive. And I won't give away the final scene. <clears throat> One of the greatest final scenes of any film ever made. His next step after running off with that turkey, having avoided the police who get the other guy, is to kind of crank open this beer dispensary machine, which apparently is a thing that used to exist in the 70s, and uh, just loads up his pickup truck with with a load of cans of beer and then drives off with his turkey. And again, this was uh, what Werner Herzog calls on the commentary a quintessential American sadness which again just kind of made me think, oh yeah, I guess that is. It's this sort of distillation of a, a certain aspect of American culture. <laughs> this frozen turkey and all yeah. these beers and it's loaded uh, with symbolism and metaphors mm. as well. You know, the fact that you jumped out of the truck and the truck is in the car park just going round in circles. <laughs> yeah. There's nowhere to go. We are at the end. It's like the end of a record with a record mm. that's just going round and round. You know there is nowhere he can go. Bruno S. in that film, is he's not cut out for this world. He cannot cope in this world. And those strange, surreal dancing animals that we see. Oh, well. <laughs> Herzog's comment on just the, the indifference of nature, this idea that human beings have some sort of control over nature. But again, it just comes down to the absurdity of a, of a dark mm. chicken or a rabbit driving a fire truck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've been singing the praises of the actors in this film and the performances, but my standout performance was the rabbit fire chief. <laughs> and again, again, you don't need to know that this whole mythology is about the, the, the sort of dementedness of animals. Yeah. Bad Lieutenant, for example, mm. Nicolas Cage looking at iguanas. <laughs> yes. Look at uh, Hauser, you know, you've got the hypnotizing the chicken. You've got the pig story in, in Bells of the Deep. You've got mm. all you know, he's obsessed by animals. You know, bears yeah. are grizzly man. Yeah. There's a, there's a line in Grizzly Man, he says, where Timothy Treadwell saw hope and friendliness in the bears, I saw nothing but a universe of chaos and indifference. <laughs> it's funny. 
you know, there is a humor there. It's an existential metaphor, but it's also, there is a humor and it's Beckett, it's Samuel Beckett. I must say, having seen, I've probably seen somewhere like seven or eight Werner Herzog films. Half of those are probably documentaries, so I don't know if they're quite the same really. But I will say, they often leave me quite cold. Uh, something about his filmmaking style doesn't seem to just grab me on a, a purely, not emotional basis, but almost on a... I, I can't seem to just watch them as pure entertainment. I almost feel like I'm detached from it and I'm having to kind of analyse it in a in a kind of art house way. And I mean, I'm a, I loved Fitzcarraldo, but I think I watched that after the documentary Burden of Dreams, which was all about making of uh, the making of, and obviously really enhanced the story for me. Yeah, in a way, um, knowledge of Fitzcarraldo is better. Yeah, and, and when I, you know, when I watched uh, Bad Lieutenant, for example, I'm I'm a huge fan of Nicolas Cage, so I kind of knew how to approach that one. I suppose there's a there's a move that Kinski used to do. It's called the Kinski spiral, where he'd have where Kinski would have his shoulder next to the camera. And rather than walk into frame, it sort of spiral round so you see his face straight away. Very famous shot in A Geary Rock of God. And Nicolas Cage does that a couple of times, Bad Lieutenant. It's pure Kinski. It's like, it's again, it's just part of the Herzog mythology. Mm. And it also just the bonkersness. Watching Nicolas Cage, Bad Lieutenant, is mm. like the pig being let loose. <laughs> Great performance. It's utterly mad. But I, I, I suppose what I was getting at, I guess, really, is that when it came to watch Stroshek, I didn't really have that same in point to get something immediately out of it. So I did kind of just find myself quite detached from it all. And, and it was about I'd say it's about an hour into the film, it really comes to life for me, which is basically the point that Ava is uh is She's not. It, it's never. It, it's never massively clear if she's his girlfriend or just a friend that he's living with. But his prostitute friend Ava goes off and leaves him, and it was that point when the film just kicked into gear for me, and suddenly it was purely entertaining. But I suppose everything leading up to that, I didn't kind of get drawn into the characters or. I don't know. It was an odd experience, I suppose. I had a very similar experience actually. Yeah, for me it was when. I guess it's when they went and held up the bank. Like, everything after that, it was just like, this is the madcap capers of a, <laughs> of, of a lunatic in small-town America. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is a slow burn. I mean, particularly, this, it's really a film of two halves. You've got the first half, which is in Germany, uh, rainy Germany. The, the whole film is in German with subtitles. You're not quite sure what's going on. These characters are very odd. When they get to America, it kind of, in a way, turns into you know, a normal kind of American mm. mainstream film. You've got kind of Ted Atkins guitar music, it's Sonny Williams. You know, the music changes. It becomes mm. more familiar because we're familiar watching American films. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I think it's <laughs> But then I've seen. I, I watched it quite late, and I've watched a lot of Herzog before I watched Stroycek. It was a revelation because it was. I found it such an easy film to watch. I didn't. Mm. I was. I think in a way, it's Herzog at his, at his least. Bonkers. <laughs> it put me in mind of John Waters, like that. That that oh, was my yeah. obvious comparison because, yeah. yeah, he he finds kooky characters and then just sort of throws them in front of the camera to see what yeah. happens. And but I always get from John Waters a sense of satire that works for me, which I didn't. I wasn't getting that here. I I, I didn't feel like this was someone trying to say something or make a point. It was just something that was happening yeah but he is making a point which is the sort of futility of the human condition and the fact of, of just the miscommunication of people and ideas and, you know good artists don't think right i'm gonna make a point drama and art by its nature just does make 
point, I think, if, you know, in, in skillful hands. I mean, I, I, I like John Waters' films, but I, I, would, I would put Herzog orders of magnitude are more important and skillful mm. than John Waters, I'd have to say. But that, I mean, you know, this is just me as well. I mean, I maybe it's just my sensibility. But... <laughs> it's almost this kind of collage of just things Werner Herzog has found, which all fit into a theme. It's, this is a real person I met. This is someone I found. This is a frozen pond we drove past, and I just decided we were going to film here, and the farmer came and yelled at us. The, the, the curios at the end, uh, for anyone who hasn't seen the film, at the end, uh, Bruno finds his way to a sort of low-end amusement park full of these kind of animal curios and and it's chickens and rabbits in kind of diorama cases that have been trained to dance for a treat or what have you the chicken for example will see someone there hop up go and pull on a little piano that makes uh, something resembling music and then just starts tapping its feet in the hope that someone will put 25 cents in and a treat will come out and apparently Herzog's crew didn't like any of that at all I'm guessing they felt it was cruel against animals so he in his words had to pretty much film all of that stuff at the end himself and he said it's the it's the greatest thing he's ever filmed that dancing chicken that the film goes out on i mean if you want a metaphor for the futility and the absurdity <laughs> yeah. i cannot think of a, mm. of a better one actually there's another metaphor another thing which i i've totally forgotten about alan which he, there's a scene in the germany section when he's released from prison and suddenly we're in a hospital and there's a baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Demonstrating how the baby, this newborn baby, can support itself gripping his fingers if he lifts it up. And, so, and he's talking about the reflex. It's because it was a prematurely born baby, apparently. That's more prevalent, yeah. Yeah, and it's an interesting... Now, why did he put that in there? Bruno's reaction to it's really interesting. Bruno S. is a baby. He's totally inequipped for the world. You know, it's that circle of life and death. There's that There's that great scene in, in Waiting for God, Samuel Becker, where he says, we are born astride the grave, you know, and life is just this fleeting glimpse of light and we're dropped from the womb straight into the grave. And that's kind of what's going on in a lot of Herzog's films. It is it is that, that sort of existential nature of life. It is, it is fleeting and absurd and crazy. And, and that baby scene at the beginning, and then, of course, his own Bruno S. is killing himself at the end, it kind of reinforces that nature of birth and death. That's kind of what I mean with it being like this collage of ideas. It's, you know, in a narrative sense, if you're looking at the screenplay or what have you, that scene doesn't really need to be there. It doesn't really progress the story or add anything on that level. But looking at the film as this collection of ideas and themes, and yeah, it's a beautiful moment that really does add to the whole and you can tell Herzog's really kind of thought about it on a poetic level and it's not like a rom-com yeah <laughs> but it's definitely a comedy you know the end scene with the turkey you know there's a couple of big real proper slapstick moments in it there's a couple of really dark moments in it but ultimately it's, it's the narrative is a very simple narrative that you can follow it's talking about some of the crazy characters in it the, the, the auctioneer guy the guy who loans the money the bank guy the bank clerk <clears throat> and has to try and get the money back and he's so polite and nice even though you realize you, you know what's going to happen he's going to repossess their house and it's, it's all awful i thought it was the most extraordinary performance because if you were asked you know and again this is a non-actor if you were asked to play that part you'd probably play as a mean bank guy i'm going to play mean bank guy demanding my money back but he's so gentle and nice with them but yet underneath that gentleness and niceness is i'm going to repossess your house i actually mm-hmm. Touch with them. I actually tracked him down. The name 
and found him on Twitter. I sent him an email. I sent him a tweet just saying, it's one of the great performances in <laughs> cinema. You know, that's the only film he's ever done, you know, and it's like a couple of scenes, but it's just one of the most perfect scenes, I think. Mm. Yeah, I, I was actually quite struck by his performance as well. I mean, as I say, the Rabbit Fire Chief's my favourite performance in the film, but he's uh, pretty firmly my second. Because, yeah, to, to say he's a non-actor, you wouldn't know, but I think that's probably what informed that performance. Like you say, you know, he presumably has had to have conversations like this in real life and presumably doesn't approach it from the idea of being a cackling evil bank manager who's going to take all your money he probably does approach it with empathy and compassion and he's a salesman he's a slick salesman yeah, he's putting yeah. a positive spin on everything that's what he does it was funny as well because of course bruno s doesn't speak any english this <laughs> guy yeah. talking to him in english so bruno s really has no idea what's going on he's just sitting there drinking beer and his girlfriend who does speak english is trying to explain and again it's that just that people speaking in different languages it's a again it's a it's a classic Herzog mm. theme Bruno is just not doing anything being completely passive of everything it's just like stuff happens to him like he doesn't try to do anything he doesn't try to improve his loss he just He's like a sponge who absorbs all this terrible stuff that's going on. But that's why that's why I don't I don't understand really what we're supposed to take from the character because you know he has no respect he has no kind of no uh, he has no function much of anything and then you know this opportunity arises to start again. But it's obviously just exactly the same. And why wouldn't it be? All, all of the difference is now he's in a country where he doesn't speak the language. And so why would that be any different? Yes, I know exactly what you're absolutely right on, but it's, there's something about that performance of him just staring and completely open to everything that's going on. He's a, he's a, you know, a non-actor in these films. And it's just, yeah, it's just mesmerising. But just the depth and the emotion you can kind of read. It. I find it really interesting that you didn't, click with this to be honest alan because it has all the hallmarks of the sorts of films that you are into you know you do tend to like these films where very little happens in the way of solid plot points and they do just kind of pluck out non-actors and channel them into giving us something real and kind of get a slice of life i suppose yeah, I know. I I do tend to go for that sort of thing, and yeah. I, I I'm I'm tr I was trying to figure out why this didn't connect with me, and and I think I just have I, I have no way to relate to the characters. So mm. if they are representing some universal human truth, then I do not experience that. I think you're too happy. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> As I say, we, we did Kez uh, last week or the week before on this podcast, and and you loved it. And and yeah. but then you're from you're from Yorkshire, so I suppose maybe it is just that that removal from uh, what you're saying on screen. Yeah, but I'm not. I was not brought up dirt poor, uh, you know, the son of a miner and, and everything. So I, I, I yeah, but your grandparents were, and you were relating it back to them. And... I could be. Fam I could see familiarity there, and I could see things there, but. I, I want to find something here that is a, a kind of a greater universal thing that I can hang on to. It, I don't have to relate to the specifics of the situation. Mm. Maybe give it another go. I mean, it's funny, actually. I, I've seen Strategic. I've only seen it twice, actually. And I'm, I'm on a second viewing, I, I, was, this is, I, I appreciated it even more. Actually, the other big legend we should say about Strategic is, of course, Ian Curtis from Joy Division. Mm. Well, yes. suicide, committed suicide having just watched Strategic. Well, that I can understand. <laughs> uh, apparently, that apparently that you know the dancing chickens. Apparently. <laughs> if you were in a bad place, it might just push you over the edge. When I when I went down my Herzog rabbit hole, whenever it was a few years ago, I was in a pretty bad place, and I, I think they're funny. I, I I remember 
you know, when the Smiths were happening in the 80s, I was really into the Smiths. Everyone's saying, oh, the Smiths are so depressing. I'm like, really? They're hilarious. <laughs> I, I'm like that with Herzog. It's like, I, I, I see nothing but humour and, and fun and tongue-in-cheekness. And there's always a humour. that Nothing's ever taken seriously. Even the most depressing, even mm. suicide at the end of Strojcek. In a way, the fact that I can't remember what's written on the on the back of the on the on the chairlift that he's on. Yeah, am I really here? So, am I really here? You know, there's there's, there's a kind of wit to it. The rabbit with the fire engine is funny. The police come and the van's on fire, and the police chief says, "Hey, we need an electrician down here. We can't turn up the chairlift, and we and there's a rabbit still dancing, and the chicken's still dancing." You know, there is a, it's absurd. It's Mark's. I, I I think it probably depends just how you're wired. I think some people are wired to kind of enjoy cathartic stuff, and I'm certainly like that. You know, I I um you know I, at the start of the coronavirus pandemic, there were for various reasons, you know, a whole load of things causing me a great deal of anxiety and what have you and and i remember just thinking i need to sit down and watch a really good zombie movie and i just went away and i, I watched uh night of the living dead again which i love and a french film called the night eats the world which i'd seen recently and then i just felt great and it was this cathartic kind of yeah oh i've got all my w- underlying you know issues with fears out by watching these scary movies um but then my girlfriend for example is the exact opposite of that she if she's in a bad mood she can't watch anything remotely bleak or depressing We've only just finished watching the HBO series Succession because it's a bit too bleak, just these unpleasant characters being mean to each other. If she's not in a good mood, she can't deal with it. Yeah, I I can completely see how for someone a film like Strochet would be depressing and just, if you know, enough to tip them over the edge, but then someone else would be like, this is brilliant, I, I feel great having just had a laugh at the absurdity of life. There is a bleakness to it, There's absolutely, the landscape, mm. there is a bleakness. But I don't find it a bleak film in any in any sense. Uh, I mean, yeah. it's, it's bleak, but but just because something's bleak doesn't doesn't make you feel sort of bleak. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's very stoic as a filmmaker as well. He you know he does, he's very economical. He doesn't start about yeah. you know. He says you know filmmaking should come from the thighs. You know, <laughs> film script shouldn't take more than a week to write. If you take more than a week, you're mm. doing something. But again, you know, that this film taking four days is a, a great example of that, because when I first watched it, I, I guess I was expecting a more of a primmed and proper film, and then knowing it was this real kind of, we just turn this film out to make a film kind of approach, it made me view it more like... Um, you know, like Shane Meadows will go away and make a film in three days or whatever. And it's just, it was that kind of, okay, I, as a kind of madcap, we're throwing this together and just capturing something in the moment. I, I really got a lot more out of it. So, And that's the thing, he yeah. is prolific Herzog. He is absolutely, mm. I don't know how many films he's made, 80 films or something, because he just gets on with it. He doesn't fart around. And so, you know, and some of his films I, I, I can't watch, I just think are not very good. What I love about him is the fact that his good films are just so good. They, they kind of make up for everything else. He, there's nothing mm. ever mediocre about him. And the fact that he'd make, he'll go out and shoot and would rather shoot and sometimes they don't work. I like that. I think that's, a, I like his approach yeah. making. I'm actually doing this. I don't know if you know, you know, there's masterclasses that you get online. There's, yeah. I bought, I got, subscribed to it just so I could watch the Herzog. Is there a Herzog masterclass? I had no idea. Anyone, not, even if you're not a filmmaker, just as a guide to life. Yeah, Herzog talking about how and why he makes films and and <laughs> and all these images. He talks about Strojek and it and all, all these images and ideas percolating around. You know, and his great his great advice to everyone is, 
read, 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 Odyssey, read Homer, read the Iliad. Mm. And that's where all his ideas come from. It, you know, the themes of Strawcheck are, are operatic. They are mm. grand themes. But, but presented in, in the most ordinary and small. Mm. That's an interesting point, I suppose, because he, he is a, a bit of an oddity in that he's a filmmaker who doesn't really watch films. He never um, watched or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He until he was because uh, he was in the Mandalorian recently, which I watched uh, a few days ago for the first time. I, I I heard an amazing quote about that where apparently they took away the uh, you know this baby Yoda puppet thing, <laughs> and yeah, they wanted to film it with a, a a real life animatronic puppet, and then they wanted just to be safe to do it with nothing there, so they could put a CGI version in if it didn't look good enough, and they took the puppet away having filmed with him. And he said, you know, what are you doing? And uh, they said, oh, we just want to get a blank take for the effects in case. And he just, he apparently he said to them, you are cowards. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and told them to believe in themselves and believe in their vision. Exactly. Yes. Herzog is one of the, he is the greatest soldier of cinema. He, was, he would never use a storyboard. Storyboards mm. are the instrument of cowards. When you're on set, I mean, when I'm on set, Doing all those plans, all those ideas you've had sitting in an office writing and writing a scene for a documentary or whatever, you have to then be open about the reality. And, yeah. you, and that takes courage. And but that's you know, fortune favors the brave. And I think that's why Herzog is such an outstanding director because he never compromises. There's never mm. any compromise, and even if it doesn't work. It's it's that lack of compromise that is so extraordinary and 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 refreshing in a world where you know casting is done by algorithms now. <laughs> I it's a bit like the Bad Lieutenant actually because obviously the Bad Lieutenant mm. been made you know twenty years previously. By yeah, him. yeah. He never. I've never watched this film. I, never <laughs> watched I actually quite like the original. You know, the Abel. Yeah, no, it's great. I I like both of them. Yeah, but I prefer the Hurt. The Nicholas Cage one is 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 wonderful. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. Like peak Herzog. Can I ask you, what's your favorite? Do you have a favorite Herzog film? Or I, I know you're not great students of Herzog, but do you have any that you kind of like? Or Alan, what? <laughs> Alan's like, no. <laughs> I mean, for, for me, I mean, Grizzly Man is one of my all-time favourite films. Yeah, yeah me too. So, yeah, that's the one that leaps out to me. But, you know, I, I, I loved Fitzcarraldo when I watched it. And other than that, I've only seen some of his other documentaries, Stroshek, Nosferatu. I love his Nosferatu. It's great. Yeah. Uh, what else have I seen of his? I, I, oh, Bad Lieutenant. So I, there's a lot for me to continue watching. But I mean, I've had his entire filmography on my watch list for years now. So it was really nice to finally be ticking one off. I mean, I was, yeah, I was trying to think what, what I've actually seen. I've seen the kind of the real big classics like Aguirre and uh, Fitzcarraldo. And, but I've I've seen, in terms of his sort of earlier stuff, I've seen, I think, just Stroisek and uh, Enigma of Caspar Hauser. I think those are the only ones I've seen. Oh, what did you think of Caspar Hauser then? Because it's basically the elephant man. It's the same story. I found, I found it a bit more engaging than Stroisek, I think, just because there's more of a narrative. Yeah. Which is just easier for me to hang on to. Yeah, yeah. And I was a bit familiar with Caspar Hauser's story kind of anyway. But ultimately, I, I, didn't, I don't feel like I got anything out of it, put it that way. And it just it just felt like this kind of little curiosity of, a, of a, an odd character who was... But I also... The interesting thing, because it's not presented that way in the film at all, but Caspar Hauser was just a con man, basically. Like, that seems to be the truth of the situation. But in the, the film presents his story, um, and we see the man sort of teaching him to walk and things. 
I, I just love that he turns up with a, a big hole in his chest and he's bleeding to death and he's like he's accidentally stabbed himself too hard. <laughs> like I like that sort of thing. But I, I actually after I watched Sorry the other night, I, I went online and there's a couple of documentaries about Bruno F that I watched. And it's a sad story, you know, the guy was you know, didn't work again after those films and kind of went back to his, his old life of being, you know, a, a homeless Berlin street musician and obviously has a lot of lot of problems and uh, yeah, interesting character. Gosh, I just that something else just sprang to my mind. Yeah, the scene where he's sort of being beaten up in his apartment in Stroycek mm-hmm. again. The scene where he's playing the piano and he's worried about if he dies, what will happen to his piano? He- and that's his actual piano, the uh, the real guy. Real piano, yeah. real apartment, which he bought with uh, he bought with his fee for Casper Hauser, and it was like his pride and joy. Yeah, yeah. All those little things suddenly kind of sprang up when I watched it again. Oh. But what what does knowing that add to the experience for you? It's just a beautiful image, the fact that he sort of treats his piano like his child. And it's, you know, knowing about his own life and and the scene with the baby and what is a baby and, you know, and then this is his baby. You know, this is his entire life, his accordion and his piano. And when the pimps walk in and start trashing his apartment and pull his accordion apart, it is a sense of like, actually, they've just destroyed the most important thing of his in his life but we don't see his response to it we don't see him have any emotional reaction to it no you don't you don't need that but you feel it because you know what it means you know and you know the importance of his accordion to him we but it's, as part of that narrative we see him leave everything behind but there's no there's no kind of emotional drag there where oh my god i've had to leave my baby piano behind no you don't need that because a, a lesser filmmaker would lay on the emotion <laughs> the audience the audience does the work Herzog, he, he, he suggests things mm. because he doesn't need to. It's kind of what you don't see. So, I mean, we, we rate our films out of 10 on this show, so I suppose we might as well go in kind of ascending order, what I assume is going to be ascending order. Alan, if you want to give your final thoughts on the film. Well, like I say, I, 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 I think I appreciate what you get out of it because I, I think I, I find similar things in other films, but for me, this it, it, it left me cold it it feels like the emperor's new clothes to me it just feels like there's there's nothing really there i guess you find in it what you want <laughs> which is that's fine you know that's that's art i suppose um, but for me i think that and i i am quite literal i think as a film viewer i do like a strong narrative and character to grab hold of so for me it just felt too it felt like there was 14 minutes of plot here and 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 the rest of it is just kind of it's throwing and throwing shit at the fan and see what sticks you know which i think is probably Herzog's approach <laughs> like just just keep throwing stuff and see what happens uh, but ultimately yeah it, it kind of leaves me feeling cold there's a there's enough funny moments there to to get me through and I did quite like the ending it kind of just suddenly came together for me at the ending yeah I guess as an overall experience I'm gonna give it a four out of ten. Oh, oh that's pretty good <laughs> What's your kind of? Do you have a ten out of ten film just out of interest? Like, what do you have a a, um, a film that you always kind of cite if anyone asks you what your ten out? Yeah, I always would go with say uh, like Fargo or Train Spotting. Well, there you go. I would, I would I would agree with you on Fargo. I Train Spotting less so, but Fargo definitely. So I mean, I'll go next because I think, as I say, I think this is going to be ascending. But yeah, I mean, for me, I kind of get where you're coming from, Alan the film did kind of leave me cold. I I couldn't just watch it as a pure bit of entertainment. I kind of had to put my analytical hat on, but I still got a lot out of it. And, and it's, you know, it's like I say, it's that, 
it's like Marcel Duchamp who you know put the that urinal in an art gallery to sort of say is this art you know I, I've taken it out of the context of a toilet it's now in an art gallery is it art and I think that's a similar approach here like I say it's this collage of just oddities and ideas and themes being thrown together into a film and and you can kind of get something out of that or not but it really comes down to how you're going to approach it and read it I think and knowing about the production and what Herzog was going for really did help me get something else out of it. So um, I'll give it a 7 out of 10. I, I think it's a respectable uh, bit of work, but it, yeah, I mean, it's not my favourite Herzog film. Um, for the record, Grizzly Man for me is a 10 out of 10 film. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I, was, yeah. I, I, I love Grizzly Man. Um, I, I, I know what you mean about ideas being thrown around. I wouldn't say they're thrown around. I think Herzog is a master at understanding narrative. And yes, he does. Have, he does present you with extraordinary images, sounds, music. But mm. obviously, I watch a lot of Herzog films and think about Herzog a lot. Uh, I think he is the greatest living filmmaker. I don't think there's anyone I can cite. You know, the Coen Brothers you mentioned, I absolutely love as well. You know, I think they're terrific filmmakers. But in a way, I would put Herzog above even the Coen Brothers in the sort of pantheon of Herzog films. I reckon sort of ten, you know, ten percent of Herzog films. I reckon sort of maybe. 10% of Herzog films are kind of unwatchable. <laughs> 80% of Herzog films are, yeah, they're okay. And then sort of 10% on the other end are just sort of life-changingly good. And I would put Wojciech in that, in that 10%, I'm afraid. I think it's a wonderful film. I'm going to give it... Can I give it a 10 out of 10? Go for it, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give it a 9.5. I think it's... I understand, I understand both of your points, but I, I, I see a very tightly <clears throat> written film, actually. It is a small narrative, mm. road movie, ultimately, with a sad ending. It's Thelma and Louise, it's Butch Cassidy, it's that. Um, but, it, but I'm going, I'm going to go nine. Nine. Go on, I'm going to be a bit mean. I'll go nine. <laughs> <laughs> You've convinced me. <laughs> I, I agree, actually. It is very tightly written. It's, um, but I, I suppose, on the bare face of it, I think it's a very simple, in parts quite unengaging plot or the writing anyway and it's it's those ideas that are then kind of hung on that and used to dress it that give the film a, a kind of spark for me so i suppose that's what i mean when i say throwing them around it's kind of like oh let's get that in on this bit and right well i will uh i will give you a recommendation both of you but uh i think you in particular dallas might get something out of this uh there's a film called incident at loch ness uh, have you seen it no i haven't seen it herzog is in it as himself and i believe he produced it okay uh but the whole thing is a kind of mockumentary about Werner herzog making a documentary about the loch ness monster so it's a guy called Zach Penn who is a screenwriter. He's written things like X Men Two and you know some big Hollywood films. Uh, who's obviously friends with Werner Herzog, and it's directed by Zach Penn. And yeah, it's just about them going on an expedition to Scotland to find the Loch Ness monster and things going wrong. And it's it's a very odd bit of work. But if you're a fan of Werner Herzog and particularly what he does with his whole blending between. Uh, documentary and and fiction and everything. It's it's a really interesting film just to to see. And he of course talks about you know the the uh, the kind of enigma that he is and the story surrounding him. He, he talks about a well known story that he pulled a gun on uh, Klaus Kinski. Was it to get a performance out of him? And Kinski threatened to leave the set of Agiri and yeah, um... not let that happen. And so. <laughs> I don't know how much of that's apocryphal, but certainly an incident to Loch uh, incident at Loch Ness. Herzog himself goes, 
this never happened. I, I, it's, it's a story. It's a fun story, but I would never do this. But then, of course, Zach Penn pulls a gun on him to try and direct him. And the story is a yeah. little better. He's a, he's a yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, um, I, I would check that film out okay. it's, as a as a Werner Herzog fan. It's just very interesting, and and I could watch him in front of camera do anything. To be honest, so <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you what, this is a great book actually. Um. It's called yeah, uh, uh, it's called uh, Werner Herzog: A Guide for the Perplexed: Conversations with Paul Cronin. Great tome of a book, but if you want to sort of get inside the minds and the films of Herzog, it's really I thoroughly recommend it. And it's 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 fun watching his films. Herzog hates people analysing his films. Right? <laughs> you shouldn't ha- ever have to have an analyst to watch a bloody film. But it's a great book. And actually, I, in a way, exploring the Herzog oeuvre is a bit like playing a game because it's a bit like doing a jigsaw puzzle. Themes start. Mm. Oh, remember that idea from this film and the penguins in uh, in, in Antarctica know that what he's meaning is that's the end of Cobra Verde. And he's, you start to kind of piece together those things. And there's a, there's a funness to that, which I, I really enjoy. It's a bit like doing a crossword puzzle or something. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's good. My life with her. I want to do a cooking program with her. So that's <laughs> start with the boot that he uh, boiled <laughs> for that bet. Was it? I think he said he just threw loads of garlic and hot sauce in to try and make you know disguise the flavor as much as possible. That's the way to do it. Um, in fact, in Incident at Loch Ness starts with Werner Herzog throwing a dinner party and having a load of his Hollywood friends like Jeff Goldblum over, and he's cooking a very weird, like I think it's Himalayan or something. This very obscure dish that he's trying to replicate that he you know saw out on his travels and. So I think he'd, uh, I think he'd go for that. He seems like a bit of a foodie. Oh, he is a foodie. He's definitely walking. You know, walking is this other. Actually, in the masterclass thing you do, you get little homework assignments. And one of us in 1974, uh, Herzog walked from Munich to Paris because he forbade uh, Lottie Eisner, who was the great German film critic, who <laughs> around during the times of, you know, the, you know. Uh, who was the great German expressionist filmmaker, um, cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Oh, yeah. Um, Murnau. Yeah, again, mm. of course. But she was the great film critic that linked German expressionism and German cinema to the new German cinema. And, of course, a lot of German culture destroyed by the war, etc. Anyway, she was in hospital dying in Paris, and Herzog forbade her to dance. He said, you, you, must, you cannot die until I've seen you. And he walked from Munich to Paris in three weeks, and he wrote, this, he wrote a journal of it. Uh, of walking in ice some of the most beautiful prose i've ever read a complete sort of stream of consciousness in a way but absolutely beautiful and he got to paris and and, and met her and she wasn't dead and, and then she died after they, it's a great anyway one of the one of the bits of homework is to do that <laughs> to go for a very very long walk and keep a journal filmmaking homework you know so many filmmakers i, I know young people mm. Worried about what bloody camera they're using and faffing about, yeah, yeah. bouncing around, you know, and trying to pretend to be filmmakers. And, you know, the poet must never avert his eyes. <laughs> right. Well, um, yeah. Thanks so much for taking the time to yes, thank chat you with very us. Much. Lovely talking to you both. You too. <laughs> yeah, likewise. No more comment. Full stop.